Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Tom Kubinek. Tom is president and CEO of Securit Tactical, a leading authority in weapons storage and armory design. Tom has designed and built weapons storage systems for all branches of the U.S. military and all theaters of operation, as well as foreign military forces in South America and the Middle East. Tom, thank you for taking time to join us today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I was really looking forward to this interview. It's, Good to hear. There's so much great information to share. Well, great. And I'm, I can't wait to get into it with you. Let me start with an easy question. Just how do you typically introduce yourself when you're meeting a new group of business people? Just usually, I just, Tom Kubinick, CEO of Secure It. I let them ask the questions. Got it. Got it. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Secure It. What does your business do? In the defense world, we are the largest supplier of weapons storage systems, armories, basically we have a patented weapon rack and weapon storage system that we use in armories. It's used throughout the U.S. military and a lot of foreign fighting forces. That sounds really impressive, but it is a very small niche market and we own it. Now, we struggled through the sequestration years with sales shooting up, dropping off as government budget money was, right. was pushed in and out. And uh, five years ago, we made the decision to go into retail and take our minds, our military concept, our military mindset of firearm weapons storage and bring it to the consumer market. The retail market now is dramatically larger than our military business. Wow. And it's growing very, very, very quickly. Well, give us a sense of size and scope today and feel free to share that in any way you like. Revenues, units sold, number of employees. Tell us about the size of your company. Okay, um, right now we are growing so fast. You pick the month and I'll tell you how big <laughs> we are. Four years ago, we were 4 million. Our budget this year was for 13 million. We're going to be closer to 18. Wow. So we're growing like crazy. Wow. And in what role do you spend most of your time in the business? What seat do you sit in on the accountability chart? Um, I'm the visionary. Got the it. Got it. Have you always been in the visionary seat or is that a recent development? Since the first time I saw EOS in a presentation to a group that I was with, and I saw the layout, I immediately knew I was the visionary. Awesome. awesome. And I also knew that I was going to implement this system. Yeah, before I get into the details of your leadership of this organization and your leadership journey, I, wanna, I want you to take us way back. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Tell us how your entrepreneurial journey began. I have always been an entrepreneur. I had a... Uh, lawn mowing business when I was 15 years old. That was an innovative approach to lawn mowing, going to real estate companies for corporate executives that were moving. And I actually built quite a little business. I started playing guitar in my early youth and focused primarily on that. And I was a professional guitar player for a long time with a career that was doing well. I developed tendonitis in my arms so bad that I had to stop playing. Mm. And I had no other skills. Really, so I took a job telemarketing typewriter ribbons to businesses in Hollywood, uh, California, because it was a morning job calling East Coast. They they would hire anybody, 
and uh, I was so bad they moved me to a non-sales position because the guy <laughs> liked me, but I was horrible. But I saw what was going on. I saw that the, the commission was the future. That's where people were making money. So I quit that job. It took a straight commission job for a different company doing the same thing and just started reading books on sales, listening at that time to cassette tapes on like Zig Ziglar and all the motivational guys and immersed myself in sales. Two years later, I quit and started a uh, telemarketing company selling printer ribbons and backup tapes in an apartment with a phone and a cardboard box. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's where I might need to pause and explain to some of our younger listeners what a typewriter ribbon is, Tom. <laughs> so we're both we're both dating ourselves a little bit yes, here. So fast forward to this business from that background, what led you into the weapons storage industry? I'm going to give a little bit broader tie-in because there's a couple of Please. key pieces to the to that transition. I grew that first company to $3 million in sales. We had 18 sales reps very quickly, a couple in about three years. I sold that business to my partner, started a company on my own now, Greenline Data, doing the same thing. We grew to three to five million in sales very quickly. Just missed making Inc. 500 with that company, and it sat three to five million. I was selling computer supplies. I got in early to the internet and started building websites. This was in late 90s. And I created a website with uh, just trying different things to see what would come up in search. And we started getting hits for tape racks and the computer tapes, they back up tape. So back in the day, companies bought thousands of those and they had big racks to store them. At a time when small businesses locally we're closing and technology was changing. We became the largest distributor of tape racks in the country. Wow. That turned into laptop storage when the HIPAA laws came out for locking up hard drives. We started selling laptop cabinets and it was through our ability with SEO and becoming the internet guru of this thing. We sold a lot of laptop cabinets. A guy called me and said, can you store an MP5? And I said, sure. What's an MP5? <laughs> he said, it's a little machine gun. And I was just like, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I said, yeah, I bet we can. That was 2002, and we started looking at weapon storage and realized that the military was transitioning from an M16 battle rifle to the M4, which is really a weapon system. Lots of attachments, very modular. Mm -hmm. All the racks they had really didn't work well. So we set out to design a new weapon rack, having never seen what they were using. I went to Home Depot and walked the aisles to see how does America store stuff. We had the term Home Depot development, which we used for years, and landed a big contract with U.S. Army Special Forces to do an assessment of why their armories were failing. We had no skills. We had no experience, but we just claimed to be the experts because there were no experts. Well, and and it, we became the experts, and the business just took off. But again, it shot. Secure it as a weapon storage company shot up to 3 to $5 million in sales and sat there. And it was about eight years ago, nine years ago, I made the realization that as a CEO, I'm a three to five million dollar a year guy. Hmm. And I've always been that. Yet with Securit, I saw such a big opportunity. I just realized that it's not the company, it's gotta be me. So I started hmm. looking outward to how do I change? How do I, be, how do I become a better CEO? I got hooked up with Vistage, mm -hmm. which is a peer group yep. and joined the Vistage group and really just listened and learned and from every meeting I went to, I took something away and started changing from being a manager, which is if you run a three to $5 million year company, chances are you're managing a company mm -hmm. and you will max out at five. Yep. 
To get past that, you've got to be a leader. And the simple difference is delegate everything. Yeah, delegate everything story. you do and hold people accountable. So I started working on this and things started doing well. I hired a number two in the company that I knew who was available, who had a lot of experience growing divisions of companies from three to five million up to uh, 18 to 20 million and brought him on board and said, look, I want to hire you for three years. Help me become a CEO. And six months later, I had the presentation and everything was coming together. And then we had that presentation with EOS. And uh, I just looked at it and it just clicked. It said, awesome. this is what we're missing. This is the mechanism or the vehicle to apply everything I was learning about leadership and management. Awesome. Awesome. I want to go back to the phone call where you're in one business and somebody mm -hmm. says, hey, can you make a storage unit for an MP5? Yeah. And you were honest enough to admit you didn't know exactly what that was. That's what it sounds like to me anyway. So it doesn't sound like you were a weapons expert by any stretch of the imagination. What did it feel like to run a company that had rapid growth opportunities not being an expert in that field? Well, my, my first answer when he asked the question as a salesman was yes. <laughs> and then I, then I asked the qualifying question, what is it? Um, I found it intriguing and I found the lack of information out there, the lack of, there were no authorities. There was very little out there. And I've always from a sales side said, if there is no authority in a field, claim it. Do your homework, learn, you've got to know what you're doing. So we claimed it, and within the early days of Secure It, it was Tom Kubinick, the leading authority on weapons storage and armory design. Wow. Now, the contract we won with U.S. Army Special Forces had me for 18 months touring all their armories with access that normally a civilian doesn't get, interviewing them all, talking about their workflow, and analyzing what they do and why they're struggling. It was during that time, that contract, that we did, we became the experts because nobody it. had this. We kind of I mean, kind of BSed our way into a little bit, but we also went in knowing that this is uh, you know, the US military. These are the guys that make sure we as civilians can get up in the morning with freedom. So we really, we took it very seriously to do what was right for these guys. Yeah, it sounds like you weren't afraid to ask the obvious question or the tough question. And you, you, you weren't walking around pretending you knew something you didn't know because you knew you were surrounded by experts, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I always see that in all business when you, I'll never say I'm an idiot, but I'll say I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be surprised when you, in any situation, when you just say, could you tell me about, I'd love to learn more about that. Everybody opens up. Everybody awesome. wants to teach. That's a great little nugget there, Tom. Thank you. Uh, let, it's a great opportunity for us to transition to leadership in general and your leadership style. So in your own words, how would you describe yourself as a leader in your entrepreneurial journey? Originally, I viewed, I mean, I was the dog and pony show guy. I mean, I was a, I was a former musician playing on a stage. And that's kind of how I took my role in the company as putting on a show of enthusiasm and all this stuff, which that'll get you so far. What was always lacking with me was accountability. And I would find that like, so I think it happens to a lot of people, instead of holding people accountable, you kind of help them out or do it for them. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to hold people accountable. And uh, I knew that was a problem. I didn't know how to get past it because you can say, you know, starting Monday, we're going to be accountable. It's just not, it's not easy to do. And I think a lot of people struggle 
with accountability, both as from business leaders to managers to even parents. It's not something that is natural or easy. The implementation of EOS was the final straw for us. And when you look at our sales, from the, you know, we were growing, growing, growing. We implemented EOS and we took off because of the built, I call it built-in accountability. We moved very quickly into this. I brought it to the company to Frank, my number two. I said, Frank, I think this is what we need. He looked at it He and came back two days later saying, Tom, this is, I like this. Now, Frank worked with me for another two years. He actually, to implement, he left and he became an implementer. He's in Spokane, Washington. Now he is an EOS implementer. That's how sold he was on it. And this guy's got a huge resume. He could have done almost anything. That's awesome. So, awesome. but with this system in place, accountability happens. And what do you- Everybody knows what, who's not getting it done. What have you had to change as a leader working within the framework EOS provides? Just letting go, hmm. letting go of the reins. I've been fortunate, you know, prior to, and we're still finalizing getting the last bits and pieces of this system in place. Mm -hmm. Hiring is the last thing that we're really looking at a lot of the tools and stuff. And we haven't used much. I don't know if it's dumb luck or what, but we have hired brilliant people. And I'm at a point right now where the company runs so well without my daily involvement and there was a force for me. We, I was forced into a situation that a lot of people this year were forced into. Two years ago, I made the mandate, I want this company running in the cloud. I don't want a file server. I don't want computers. I want us to be cloud-based so I can be anywhere. I was traveling a lot and still be connected. So we implemented that. And last November, we completed everything. We were server-free. We were cloud-based. COVID hit. And it was a Friday that we decided, guys, on Monday, we're working remote. Everybody, you're working remote. We had a couple of people that had some home internet service issues, which we just upgraded their service for them. And the company ran remote. And what's really amazing is our productivity went through the roof. And that's when I really realized I don't need to be there. I'm in the way sometimes. As the lead, I need to step back. And now I'm focused on things like interviews like this. I do a lot of news interviews, a lot of where I'm out talking about what we believe is the future of firearm storage in America, because awesome. we're out to change the way America stores guns. We are taking on the gun safe industry. So I've got my back to the company and I'm projecting forward now. And the more I do that, the more I let these people just run faster they run. And yeah. It sounds like you're elevating out of the day to day absolutely. And, and into the focus on the future as any visionary would. Let's go back to the early days because you have a rather colorful past. I've seen the hair, I'll be <laughs> honest. Uh, and I want you to tell me about the best leader you ever had the privilege of following and the worst leader. You don't need to name names, but I'd love to know what attributes or characteristics you attribute to great leadership versus not so great leadership. Oh boy, that's tough at different points in your career and with different personal needs, different people are better leaders. Hmm. It's, it's the lead. I think what it comes down to, because there are some people that are incredible leaders, but at the time I worked with them, they weren't incredible for me. I think maybe the answer is a really great leader is the one that gives you what you need when you need it. Hmm. And quite often that comes down to personal struggle in sales. It's all about plateaus. You know, when, you're, when people sell, and these young sales reps take off, 
make and the minute they get to a point of commissioner like wow i've never made this much they level off hard to get them past that a good leader can get them to see more in themselves but it has to be presented in a way that's congruent with where that person is mm. at that time and my second job working for the telemarketing company, the owner of that company, again, named Rick Rusin. He's I got a ton of respect for the guy. I actually sold that business. My business, I left him, started a company, which years later when Secure was taking off, I actually sold the business back. To, I sold it to him. And he was a uh, started off just a simple sales trainer, but he really did instill in me this idea that you can always be more than you are. Mm. You know, You don't have to be who you are. There's so many ways to find more information about constant growth. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is you got to understand, you got to meet your people where they are, give them what they need at the time. And to do that, you probably have to listen and observe and flex Mm -hmm. yourself as a leader and then instill confidence. Is that a fair summation? Yeah. I I think the empathy comes in Mm-hmm. Some of the greatest moments I've had with, with my people here is at times when they've had issues or struggles. And sometimes it's just a simple call say, hey, you know, I know you've got some things going on. I'm here 24-7. If you need me, just let me know. I don't know what I don't. I'm not sure what you need. I'm not sure what I can do. But just I want you to know you've got my number. Call me 24-7. Awesome. And that's it. Just that they yeah. know that I've got their back. Got it. Whatever it is. And it makes for a group of people that we got now that will, these guys will do anything for each other. Yeah, that's great to hear, Tom. Uh, is there anything you wish you have had done differently as a leader? Any colossal mistakes or, or blind spots? There's so many mistakes. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a fail fast, fail, fail. And I tell my people here is, guys, look, speed trumps accuracy in business, move fast, make mistakes fast, fail fast and learn fast. And Mm. I have no fear of failing. I've had some colossal fails in front of three, four, 5,000 people on stage with a guitar and you get through it pretty, and you realize the sun still comes up in the morning. So I let people know right away here that, look, if you've got a problem, let me know. I need, I want this, this, this done. I don't expect you to know what to do, but I expect you to get moving on it. If you make a mistake, just just correct and move on. And I talk about my mistakes with the people here saying, guys, this is what we're going to do. I think it's the right answer. Two weeks later, guys, this was wrong. However, what we learned was this. So we're going to make this correction. And now we are, and everybody sees, okay, you know, awesome. adapt and overcome. Yeah, perfectionism is a common trait amongst uh, driven entrepreneurs and very dangerous. Yeah. And I, uh, I think so. It's yeah. uh it's okay to be to, uh, I don't want to say seek out mistakes, but the faster you make mistakes, the faster you grow. Got it. Got it. Uh, let's go back to talking a little bit about EOS and the way it's influenced mm-hmm. the way you lead and manage in your organization, maybe the other leaders and managers in your company. Before discovering EOS, just give us a picture, paint us a picture as vivid as you can of what the business looked and felt like. We were growing. We, were, we had a lot going on. We were going from military adding retail, which was the wild, wild west for us. We knew nothing about retail. I brought in a very seasoned retail sales manager who had been in the fashion, clothing, retail clothing, shoes and stuff for, for most of his career. And I was a brilliant guy, good friend, and started learning from him about what retail is. We had a you know sales department. We really didn't have an operations department. It was a small company. People were you know crisscrossing. And we'd have weekly meetings and monthly meetings. And 
we just kind of plotted along, missed a lot of dates on things. We progressed, but there was a general, it seemed confusing to me. I'm not sure it did to the employees, <laughs> but I had 50 balloons up in the air yeah. and I was constantly working to keep these things going. I actually enjoyed it. I was immensely busy putting in long hours. I was, you know, I was told my wife, I can't wait till Monday morning to get in, but I was mired down in tactical work and data work and, and stuff, paperwork yeah. with uh, EOS and really starting to delegate. And it's not easy to do, start letting people do things. And I stopped going to all the L10 meetings. I, there's, I mean, there's, I check in on them every you know, couple of months. I'll, I'll sit in on, on each group, but really moving away. And as I started doing that, it became easier to do and easier and easier. And now sometimes I almost feel disconnected from the fact that we're running remote makes it a little more challenging. There's certain people and departments that I don't see, I don't talk to very often. I have to make a very conscious effort just to, you know, we use video chat and all these different tools just to kind of bounce over and talk to them every week or two. The result of all that though is I operate at such a so much higher of a level as a CEO. People on the outside, you know, I ran a small company. It was my company. Not many people knew about it. We were growing. We were, we were doing our thing. It was all cool. But now I'm out there and there's a lot of people in this area. There's a lot of between news organizations, podcasts. I'm on various news networks and just pot speaking about the future of secure, the future of firearm storage and speaking about our vision. And it's working. We're yeah. winning over, you know, part of our growth is that people are listening. They say, wow, that's, I would have never thought it's what we're, our, our position is very different from the gun safe position, but it's based on years of experience in the military and bringing those principles. And it's amazing how much more fun. I thought I enjoyed going to work on every Monday, you know, seven, eight years ago. And now, I've never been happier in my life running a company because I could go and take two weeks off right now and not even call the office. Things would slow down here and there, but you yeah. know what? It's good. They're running. They are the organization runs and I'm a hundred percent focused on long-term product development and long-term mission, long-term yeah. vision. Well, it sounds like your secret sauce of this, happiness you've discovered and effectiveness you've discovered is clarity around the highest and best use of your talents. And once you were clear on those talents, those are the five roles in your visionary seat and you're comfortable being accountable for that and letting other people on the leadership team be accountable for the five roles in their seats. Is that a, is that a fair description? I think so. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We're just, you know, you always go through that accountability chart as you're growing and re look at it. Yep. You know, I had, my senior team go through it. I stayed out of the meeting. I just want them to run with it, rebuild it. We're growing, we're hiring some other positions. We're hiring a senior position and they brought it back and they had my role up there. And there were some things on there that were, you know, banking. And so I got to say, see, it was just, it was interesting. And I just started, started lining stuff off. I'm going, I'm going, and so I, crossed, I said, guys, they're like, you don't want to know. I said, no, no. If John, my CFO, if he needs me to know something, I talk to him on a daily basis and we talk. I'm not accountable for this. He is. Awesome. And you are. And uh, okay. yeah, and the other thing I will say though, that's just, it's a natural part of doing the EOS process. And it's why I talk to a lot of people and recommend they do get an implementer is getting 
that vision traction organizer, getting that right. And you'll never get it perfect. And ours is changing constantly, but going through that process the first time is not easy. It is so rewarding. It's so, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but you get through it. And that's getting, you know, what are your core values? Everybody can write those down, but to really distill that down and then ask why four or five times that's your value and see where that where it takes you. We spent a long time, I spent a long time on it and we've distilled it down to a point where I'm like, I looked at it and go, wow, I never would have thought those were the core values, but those actually are the essence of the core values in the simplest terms. And when you do it with your leadership team involved in the conversation, then you also get the added benefit of everybody being 100% on the same page, able yes. to describe what your culture should look and feel like, et cetera. And so that's part of the magic as well. Has there been a change in the composition of the leadership team as a result of the added clarity provided by the accountability chart and your VTO and the other tools? There's been, yeah, there's been change throughout the organization. A lot of seats have changed a lot. The whole, do they want it? Do they get it, have capacity to do it? Those questions for positions, you know, yes, you have to go into this with the idea that you can't have the end in mind starting EOS. You have to have EOS in mind and the end where you end up will be dictated by going through these processes and realizing things you might not have known. All of a sudden it's like, you know what? You know, we've got people that we've shifted in positions like you really should be over here. And they're like, huh, I don't want to do that. And so well, wait a minute, you lay it out saying, this is what your role would be. And they're like, and they realize it aligns better with who they are. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And we're still doing that, but we've, I mean, when I first started on this process of, I need to not be a $3 million a company, this is before EOS. Over the course of six years, I replaced every single person in the organization. Mm. There's not a single person that's here. When I joined Vistage, when I started really saying, I'm gonna get up and turn left instead of right and started making change in my life. I had great people and, they're all, and a lot of them have gone on to great careers elsewhere, but they weren't great for me for what I needed. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's. Yeah. It's fun to look back and see how much everything has changed. The first time you had to sit down with somebody that you liked and felt was a valuable asset somewhere and have that tough conversation, how'd you prepare for that? How'd it feel? What was the outcome? You know, at first you're thinking about it, letting a, like a senior person go who's kind of a friend. You're like, geez, how, how, you know, how am I going to do this? And then I started kind of working through, I talked to a few outside people and realized I actually went, by the time I went into that meeting, which was once you make the decision, you got to move fast. If you make the decision that, you know, somebody's not right for the organization, I'm going to say that the conversation has to happen within hours, hmm. not days, not weeks. But once I sat down with a couple of people in particular, for me, it was actually an exciting meeting. It wasn't difficult. There's a moment where they realize their world is changing. And there's that impact. They're like, oh, no. But then you got, we just talked through a quick, just, you know, and you realize, look, your future is going to be incredible. This job's holding you back from it in many ways. And the people that I let go, that when they, when they let them go, it wasn't easy for them driving home, I'm sure. But in all the cases of the people that I personally have had that conversation with, they've all gone on to much better careers. And I've, some I've hired back as consultants. I don't need them full time, but I hire them back as as I work with, because I, I, there's so many things we did click in, I bring them out to have got a project. You want to be involved. Awesome. So it's a. Uh, have any of the people reporting up to you or who are part of your 
company and, and aren't your boss, have they ever sat you down and had a tough conversation with you because something you were doing was holding the company back or holding them back? Not, not yet. And I've, with my number two, I've asked them on numerous occasions. I say, God, I said, I need, I need to know what the team is feeling. There are times when I'm feeling disconnected. Mm-hmm. There's times when I've got other stuff going on. I just said, look, is there any feeling that I'm not hundred percent connected to the company? Right. And this is no, there, there isn't. I said, okay. Yes. Yeah, you gotta let me know because part of being that visionary being out there, especially when a company that's now running remote, I'm used to seeing everybody and I would walk my company every day and talk to every single employee I had every single day. I don't do that anymore. So to me, I feel like I'm really disconnected, not as much as I am, but, uh, I'm open to those conversations and I don't have all the answers. Got it. And there's a thousand things that I don't know. And I don't have an ego tied to what, to being right. Got and that may be an asset, a, a, you know, a strength of mine, but I don't care if I'm wrong. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about leadership involving open, honest, and vulnerable behavior. And so yeah. if you could just give us an example of when you've exhibited that behavior or somebody else in the organization has done so, and it's, helped you solve a problem or take the company to the next level? You know, the, the open vulnerable for me personally on the, on the, on the receiving side of that one is my Vistage meetings mm. because they hold my feet to the fire and my uh, Vistage chair is, he's one of the toughest guys I've ever known in business. He's, a compa- he's, he's an incredible guy, but he is a no BS kind of guy. And for me, it really works. When I first joined that group, we're all sitting at a table when they were talking. We're saying, guys, look, I'm a CEO of a company with all this opportunity. I don't know what a CEO does. They started laughing. I said, guys, I don't know what a CEO does. I'm a salesman. And they started realizing, you know, what's what. And they have, I can't think of a specific example, but there's been many a time when I've gone before them with an issue to process. And they kind of ripped me up a little saying, you're not prepared. Why aren't you coming to us with these numbers? Why don't you know these things? As a CEO, you, if you're going to come to us, and present an issue, mm. you better have the information to present it accurately because there's a ton of numbers here you don't, you're going to need. Awesome. And yeah, it was really good. Now, for me, doing it with other people, it's not something that I'm good at. It's not something I've ever done. I do it more and more. And the more you have difficult conversations, the easier they are. And I will tell you that running remote, it is much easier to have a difficult conversation through a video conferencing tool than, than sitting, sitting in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a plus for me, but I don't have many. Yeah. I have lots of littles. I just, you don't let things build up. So when there's something, I feel something's starting to go off the tracks, sometimes just a couple of quick questions or a couple, hey, what, what, tell me about this. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Look at our core values. I want you to analyze this against the values. Let me know what you think or something, because usually, with EOS, if you've got an issue, if something big decisions, you run it against core values, run it against core focus, and then run it against what are the rocks. And usually they answer their question or they, you know, before they get back to you. Yeah. Um, Awesome. You've mentioned your number two or your integrator multiple times. And so what are the tips and tricks you'd give other visionary entrepreneurs for staying on the same page with your integrator and having a a great relationship as two people leading an organization. You need to hire someone 
that thinks differently than you do, I think. It's really important to have. My first integrator was, uh, his name was Frank, and I knew him. He ran a company that was a supplier of ours, and he became available. I brought him in. Radically different kind of guy, but he was a action, very straightforward, focused, get it done guy. I disagreed with a lot of the stuff, how he did things. But that's because I'm not an integrator. I'm a visionary. So I allowed him to run, even though I disagreed with it. And there were times when it came to us, I said, look, Frank, you just can't do it this way. And there was a point with Frank, he had a three-year contract. I ended it short. Only and not because we had a problem, but Frank was going, was moving out west. His vision was then to become an implementer. I said, Frank, we've come to a point now where I'm good. I've learned what I needed to learn from you. It's time for you to go and seek your future. It's time for Secure to go. And we parted. I still talked to him almost weekly. And I brought in my head of operations, became the implementer. And he's a guy who's been an ops guy his whole career. He and I couldn't be more different. And I was a little worried when I first got, I didn't even know him that well. Frank had hired him and we'd worked together, but I didn't know him personally well. And I said, well, these are the cards that we have. I'm rolling with this guy, I have no better option. And it's actually working out. The company now is just taking off because, you know, I'm the uh, loud PT Barnum style <laughs> out there guy. And he's very quiet, reserved and he thinks very sequentially. In fact, we have conversations, I've conversations about, you can't give me data sequentially. I need to see five big pictures and then let me ask questions. Because my brain just doesn't work. Like, don't give me a list. My wife goes crazy with that too. I says, honey, you just tell me the end game. Yeah. And then let me ask questions because I can't, I can't follow a linear thought very easily. And he's <laughs> able to meet you in the middle. Yeah, and with our relationship, there's no egos involved and say, well, awesome. stop, stop, stop. Way too much data for me. Give me three bullets. I'm good. Thank you. you awesome. Know, it's, awesome. So yeah, it works. Awesome. How did the two of you work through conflict when you disagree? What's the process for uh, reaching agreement and agreeing together to move forward in the company? If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's him talking to you or vice well, versa? Okay. Um, you know, we haven't had a significant disagreement he handles the operations, the hiring, the how we do a lot of these things. And quite frankly, I don't want to. I let him run with it. I focus on why we do things. I focus on the why of our company. Why do we do what we do? Mm. And then how is more his, what he does. And as long as the how we do it aligns with our very first core value, I'm pretty much awesome. good with it. So it, it hasn't been... Yeah, would you would you say the clarity provided by the VTO and the accountability chart and the rocks? I think you mentioned this earlier. Make aligning more frequently possible. Oh, absolutely. The the concept of ten year, three year, one year, and rocks. There's so many conversations that I just end them quick, saying, "Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. How does this relate to the rocks we have right now?" Well, it really doesn't. Okay, does it relate to the three year? Okay. When do we have to have this done? Do we need this conversation now? Awesome. No. All right. You know, it's awesome. just, it, it keeps the information really concise, the flow. Awesome. Last leadership related question. You know, one of the things we find is great leaders are decisive, even in times of risk and uncertainty, like we've been through the last six months. What is it that you and your integrator and the rest of your leadership team do to stay sharp from a decision-making uh, standpoint? What helps you? You mentioned earlier that pace trumps accuracy every time and mm -hmm. you got to be 
willing to fail fast. How do you keep being decisive when other people maybe are stuck? You keep making decisions. You just have to resolve the decision. One of the things I talk about, and this just came from Vistage, I think, is the concept before you're having a meeting with somebody, what is the biggest decision you have to make in the next week? That's a question that I always pose. What is your biggest decision? And there's a couple of A, you get a decision saying, what are your thoughts? And I let them talk. Let them say, Sounds like you already decided. Or if they come back, they say, with a really bad concept of, if somebody doesn't have a good decision and at a senior level, I'm like, guys, what's our biggest decisions we have coming up? If nobody can think of them, a good decision we have to make, then we're not reaching far enough as a leadership team. And it's not a decision process. This is a vision and moving beyond your comfort zone process. But I like making decisions and I'm not afraid to be wrong. So I'd again, speed trumps accuracy. Yeah. Make decisions fast, turn on a dime if you have to. But the minute the KPIs, the minute the numbers aren't lining up, you're not getting what you thought, just course correction. Yeah. And it's just awesome. saying, Tom, you were wrong. Heck yeah, I was wrong. Holy cow, did I miss that? You know, it's, it's just not a big deal, but look what we learned. Great. Thank you. Uh, any last words of advice for other people either struggling or running rapidly growing businesses in today's day and age? Um, the rapidly growing is easier because there's so much fun involved. The struggling to grow is, is a bigger thing. For me, one of my assets is I love change. And we hire people, we always say is, look, get ready for change because you're going to have to change. Whatever role you're in is going to change because we're a rapidly growing company. And I see the biggest thing I see holding back young entrepreneurs or, or people trying to get businesses to grow is they want it. They see it. Everything is like, I want to get all this stuff done. But they get up Monday morning and they do the same thing. Hmm. And I'm a big believer in physiology changes psychology. So I always tell people, drive to work a different way. Hmm. Start there. Come just do things differently. You got to change your physical actions within your organization or force you to think differently. Hmm. Might not be better, might not be worse, but different is always better than the same. In when you're trying to grow a company awesome. um, in an operation, you know, once at certain departments, you want them to run the same. Consistency, <laughs> yeah. but when you're trying to break out of a glass ceiling of sales, you've been the same thing for, you've been the same level for three or four or five years. You've got to start thinking differently. And that means you've got to act differently. Awesome. That is gold, Tom. Thank you so much. And thank you. The time I spent with you went like that. It always and, does, uh, doesn't it? And you've made me and the other listeners to this podcast uh, smarter having listened to you. So I appreciate sharing. I just want to make sure all of our listeners know where to find out more about you and your organization. Where would you direct them? We are a, a digital company. We're, we're in firearm storage, but we are direct-to-consumer digital. Just Google Secure It. And we own the internet search, anything with our name in it. And you'll find from videos to newscasts to our website, it all comes up. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. And then I'll ask our listeners to please take a moment to review the podcast on iTunes. Reviews help more people find us. And it's also great to hear from you what you love, what you don't love, so we can keep getting better. And so with that, I just want to say thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Tom, thank you for spending time with us this morning. Please remember that the world needs people like Tom and like you to lead now more than ever. Here's hoping today's podcast helps you do more of the same. Thank you so much for listening to the Lead Now podcast. To learn more about the podcast and share it with your friends, 
please visit eosworldwide.com forward slash podcast. Podcast.